0: Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank.
1: Last week, we discussed the miraculous birth of Israel in 1948, Which means, of course, that they're celebrating their 75th anniversary this year as a modern nation. We also mentioned some of the political turmoil that they're experiencing over their judicial reform legislation. Most of the country is in agreement that some kind of reform is necessary. However, the problem is what kind of reform or how much seems to be the issue. Even Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu ran on and won his last election on the idea and the necessity of judicial reform. So why are hundreds of thousands of people demonstrating in the streets for the 17th week against these changes? The opposition claim that the proposed judicial reforms will destroy Israel's democracy. While those on the right claim that the reform is necessary to keep Israel as a democracy. So you clearly have two opposing sides there. What are the real facts behind the need for judiciary reform? And why should it concern us? I'm Debbie Blank. Thanks for joining us today as we again focus on the importance of Israel in God's plans for the future. And I'm
0: co-host Jackie Saylors. As I've been studying some Old Testament prophets this year, I learned one of the reasons God brought judgment is when people and their leaders were perpetrating injustice. When governments act unjustly for power, greed, or whatever reasons, and the justice system itself becomes unjust, individuals and entire systems suffer, and God will ultimately hold them accountable. So what is the truth behind the cries for justice on both sides of the deep divide in Israel? How does this divide over judicial reform affect the overall peace and security of modern-day Israel? And how could this relate to end-times
1: Bible prophecy? It's really sad to see all of the division that's happening in Israel. In my involvement with that country in, well, almost 30 years, I've never seen anything like this. So we want to discuss this because it's important for us to understand what's happening there. The first thing we have to start with is what their political structure looks like, because it's different from ours. Israel is a parliamentary democracy. Ours is a constitutional federal republic. There's a difference in that. Israel has, like we do, a presidency. However, their president is only symbolic. He has no power except whatever he brings to the table politically. Then you have the Knesset, which is the parliament, or what would dovetail with our legislative branch. You have the government, which is really their executive branch, and you have the judiciary. Now the difference in their Knesset, which is very much like our Congress and our Senate, is their legislative branch, but their government, their executive branch is made up of the prime minister, his government, the ministries under him, and the state controller and ombudsman. So it's a unique group of people who make up their executive branch. And then of course the judiciary would be the Supreme Court and the judges throughout the country. Israel is also different from us because they don't have a constitution. You see, our judges make their decisions based on our constitution. But Israel doesn't have a constitution. So what do their judges make their decisions on? It's been quite an interesting process to watch that and see how it's developed.
0: So we're often told that Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East, and so we do have a historic relationship with Israel, but we also have that commonality of that democratic system. However, theirs is different, and so that's part of the explanation of what's going on over there right now.
1: Israel formed their government much like England's government because Great Britain had a mandate over the land of Israel from the early 1920s until Israel became a nation in 1948. So that's really all that Israel knew. It seemed natural when they developed their government that they would do this parliamentary democracy. But it has caused them a lot of problems because there's a tremendous amount of corruption in this kind of a government as well as division, and we're seeing that play now. Much of what we're going to talk about today comes from an article I read by Tuvia Polak. It's entitled Historical Backdrop for the Controversy Over Israel's Judicial Reform. He wrote the article on April 16th, and I found it so informative with the background that it was good to share it with our listeners so you know what's going on. So when we talk about background, we need to understand that both our country, as well as Israel, has our system of government based on the Bible. And that's out of Isaiah thirty-three twelve. That passage reads, for the Lord is our judge. That's the judicial branch. The Lord is our lawgiver. That would be the legislative branch. And the Lord is our king, which would be the executive branch since we don't have a king, but we have a leader. It goes on to say in that passage, he will save us. So the idea that God acts in those three different ways is what caused our government and Israel's government, among others, to set out the judicial, the executive, and the legislative branches of government. Not only that, but in our case, as well as Israel's and others, allows for accountability where each Of the different branches has a different function and they all hold each other accountable well in order for each of the powers of government to be held accountable they must have a constitution laying out the responsibilities of each of these branches so that no one branch tries to usurp another one well again as I said Israel doesn't have a constitution So they're running into problems now as to how those branches are functioning and not stepping on each other's toes.
0: So we had the advantage of working into our Constitution. We had our Revolutionary War, but we didn't have continuous wars after that. And that's one of the problems, one of the main problems Israel faced. The intention was to write a Constitution, but the ability to have time to do that in the face of everything else that was going on with them just wasn't there for them at that time.
1: We can see that in our lives. When we have a tyranny of the urgent, what's going on that takes precedent in our lives, those things that we don't think are quite as important get put on the back burner. That's what happened to them. Now they made a statement in their declaration of independence in 1948 that stated, we declare that with effect from the moment of the termination of the mandate being tonight the eve of Sabbath, the 6th IR 5708, which is actually May 15th, 1948, until the establishment of the elected regular authorities of the state in accordance with the Constitution shall be adopted by the elected Constituent Assembly, not later than the 1st of October, 1948. What they state there is that they're going to develop a group of people who are elected, called the Elected constituent Assembly, and they will develop a constitution no later than October 1948. However, there's a problem. The day after Israel declared their independence, five nations surrounding Israel went to war against Israel to make sure that Israel did not have a country and instead that the current nation of Israel would be developed as a Palestinian state. Well, that kept Israel busy
0: Well, survival is more important than anything else. That's what they were in, was survival mode. All those years, all those different wars, the times that they had been attacked, they were constantly having to defend themselves and just survive.
1: Well, and that's more important than anything else. If you can't survive, you don't need a constitution. But you do need to survive. You need weapons, you need training, you need all those things. That was their most important issue for well over a year to a year and a half. Finally, in January of 1949 six months after they developed their statehood, they had elections. And these democratic elections, the people elected this constituent assembly, which was to write the Constitution and then dissolve itself. Because once the Constitution was written, they'd have other elections and elect the proper officials. However, that didn't happen. Since they were still in the midst of the war, with the most pressing issue being a ceasefire, The group instead passed a law changing their name to the Knesset, which means the Assembly, and turned themselves into the first parliament. That wasn't what their plans originally were, at least not of those who established statehood. But that's what they did. Again, tyranny of the urgent in their case. Well, with all that entailed to end the war and establishing their fledgling economy, as well as absorbing hundreds of thousands of refugees from Europe because of the Holocaust, The Constitution was never a top priority. A draft Constitution was finally written by a gentleman named Leo Cohn, but it was rejected for two reasons. And this is probably why they've never gone back to establishing a Constitution. And the first one is, how do you have a democratic government when you also have a Jewish state? To put both of them together to have a democracy and yet a religious state don't seem to mesh those are tough issues to try and decipher. And then the second one is that the Supreme Court justices stopped Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion at that time from instituting some political changes he wanted to make, and he thought from that that the justices had too much power and would have even more power for a constitution was established. So for those two reasons, that constitution never went anywhere
0: Well, it's still a problem today, very much so. So can it be democratic and Jewish? Must it be democratic and secular or democratic and liberal? And I think that's a lot of the division that we're seeing out in the streets in Israel over this issue of judicial reform or judicial tyranny. It depends on how you look at it, which direction you come from.
1: Well, consider that 75% of Israel is Jewish, which means the other 25% aren't. Most of them are Arabs. They don't want Israel to be a Jewish state. They want it to be a complete democracy because they're not Jewish. The longer Israel waits, the harder it will be to be a Jewish nation because more and more the people in their state will not be Jewish. It is known as the only Jewish country in the world, and yet they do not have any document that says that they are that entity. They have created some laws which explain that they are a Jewish state, but are those laws constitutional? (laughs) There's no constitution to figure out if that's, if that's legal or not. So to solve the problem, a Knesset member named Yitzhak Harari suggested the constitution be written in stages. What they would do is the Knesset would make a regular law, but they put an asterisk next to it, which meant that it was really a basic law. And then these basic laws would eventually become part of the constitution. Okay, that sounds like a reasonable thought, processes, and it really worked for quite a while. But no time frame was ever established as to when these basic laws would no longer be introduced or when these basic laws would become the Constitution. So the first basic law was written in 1958, and for a period of time, it seemed to go pretty well. They had some foundational laws that would work in establishing the direction of each of the branches of government, but gradually laws were added that dealt with relationships between all of these entities. But in the process, the Supreme Court had no authority to strike down any of these laws. So you had an elected body that was making the decisions with no real accountability. In 1970, the Supreme Court ruled that the Declaration of Independence was not a constitution, and that's understandable. Our Declaration of Independence isn't, but it was simply a declaration of their intentions, and it had no legal position of its own. And yet, they didn't have anything to stand on or to utilize to interpret certain issues, so they were using their Declaration of Independence to do that very thing.
0: Well, that's all they had. So that's why it's so important to have had a constitution, but now it's going to be so difficult. The next developments that happen along those lines are what really changed things, because in 1990, the Knesset passed two dramatic basic laws that dealt with basic human rights and freedom of occupation. Those were the ones that were supposed to be part of the constitution. So why was this problematic? How did this work out in 1990
1: because these two basic laws included clauses that gave the supreme court power to strike down future laws that would violate these two particular laws well these laws are generic dealing with human rights and freedom of occupation so that gave the supreme court a lot of freedom but it wasn't until 1995 when a law had passed which could be interpreted as going against one of these first two laws that the Supreme Court overruled the Knesset and struck down that law for the first time. So they set a precedent in overruling the Knesset that would only get worse. Then enter the man named Aaron Barak, the court's president in 1995 through 2006, who began to realize this Supreme Court has an awful lot of power. So he changed everything. He praised what he called judicial legislation. Well, wait a minute. The judges are supposed to interpret the law, not make the law. And yet they were now making laws because he determined that they could based on the 1995 decision. So he called judicial lawmaking the task of a Supreme Court. It's amazing Israel has been able to go this long without making any judiciary reform. But I think probably the reason is it's a hot issue. Most politicians didn't want to touch it. They didn't want to go against the Supreme Court for fear of being seen as trying to control the court. And that's exactly how people are trying to paint Benjamin Netanyahu right now, as someone who's trying to control the court system and take control over the court system so that the Knesset would not be accountable or the executive branch to the court system. Well, that's politics. When you try and make a major change, there is going to be a lot of opposition.
0: Carolyn Glick is a journalist who made Aliyah to Israel, lives there now, but she is very involved in reporting on this particular issue. She talks about what occurred under Aaron Barak and taking all of that power to the Supreme Court system, where he called it judicial legislation. She calls it judiciary revolution, that it happened behind the people's backs. People didn't really know that this power was being acquired and amplified by the Supreme Court, and the media didn't cover it, didn't explain it. Sometimes we wonder if the media isn't complicit not just biased. And in this case, I think she believes it was. So that the people didn't even realize at the time what was actually happening and how it became magnified. So that it looks like now the Supreme Court and the Attorney General have almost dictatorial powers over the entire country, what they say goes. They can overrule laws of the Knesset. They can overrule whether somebody's appointed to something or not they have like a I think a panel where only two people come from the Knesset to make any kind of a vote on anybody that they would choose to be in the judiciary and the rest of them are judges so it's like the law I think she called it rule by lawyers not law and so they're the ones who have the power right now.
1: That's why we have so much controversy in Israel now, because the people didn't know what was going on. So when it became public that the Knesset was going to make these reforms, they were up in arms because they started listening to the press and to the left side that was concerned that Netanyahu was doing this to help his own particular legal problems that he has. And they didn't understand that this has been a problem for 30 some years. Ever since the Supreme Court started making these changes, they struck down numerous laws that the Knesset has passed. That's a big problem. Your elected body is the Knesset, and yet the Supreme Court, which is unelected, is overriding the people's group of lawmakers. The issues of concern are what you said, but there's also some other issues, and that is that they had to decide which powers the Supreme Court must be limited to. Somebody has to decide that, and that's what these reforms are all about. They need to determine which laws can and can't be struck down and under which circumstances. Now, granting the Knesset the right to supersede the Supreme Court decisions is a problem, too, because then you have this Knesset overruling the judicial branch. So defining what politicians will be in charge of electing judges is also an issue, as you said. They currently have the Judicial Selection Committee made up of nine people. But as you mentioned, only two of them are Knesset members, so only two are elected people. The other seven on the committee are people that the judges appoint, to appoint judges. a huge controversy there. Without a constitution, Israel's courts, they have no guardrails. The goal is to give more power to the elected officials than to the unelected judges. That's what this reform is all about. Hal Lindsey has said that the Israeli Supreme Court presently has the same power as are the Iran's mullahs. That's amazing because Iran is a Islamic republic, not a democratic republic. He's comparing Israel's Supreme Court to them. Hal Lindsey goes on to say they can undo anything Israel's democratically chosen representatives do and replace those laws with laws of the court's own making. Without reform, the 15 judges of Israel's Supreme Court hold absolute power, end quote. Which is what you had said, Carolyn Glick, was saying. These are not right-wing or left-wing decisions. This is just facts, what is happening right there. So there needs to be reform. There needs to be checks and balances. One
0: of the problems that people have with this judiciary reform issue is they're concerned that a reform might give Netanyahu's power too much power in the Knesset. How do you think that plays with the rest of what we're trying to talk about here as far as the future of Israel?
1: Well, there's truth in that. The Knesset is a unicameral. There's 120 members of this ruling body, and all of them are determined by election of the people. The people vote on a party, though. They don't vote on a leader, though they do know who the leader of that party is going to be. In this last election, Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud party, or parties that enter in agreement with the Likud party, received 64 of the votes of the 120-member Knesset. That means that 64 members are going to be appointed by Netanyahu to the key positions in the Knesset. So basically, they're going to rule the Knesset. That's how this has always been set up, but the goal is to have checks and balances, The reality is, if the Supreme Court has no authority over the Knesset, then the Knesset's going to be run by a tyrant, by one person who has a majority of the people in the government. That's what they're accusing Netanyahu of right now. But the fact is, you also can't have a Supreme Court overruling the legislative body. So huge issues there. Right now, Prime Minister Netanyahu, he stopped the reforms. He's working with the president of Israel, whose job is appointed, but who acts as a mediator, oftentimes supporting Israel internationally as well as nationally. So he's working with him as well as the opposition so that they can hopefully come to some kind of a consensus. Now, whether this would mean a constitution is ever written, we don't know. Most people want a constitution, but they also see it'd be pretty hard to put into place at this point. They just need to have a proper system that allows all the checks and balances in their government like we have.
0: The Supreme Court, too, has so much power right now, it's already out of balance. And so I would feel more comfortable with the Knesset having a little more power because it's at least an elected group, an elected body, where these Supreme Court justices who have the power now, they don't want to let go of it. And I think that's where they are right now. What's really interesting about what's been going on with Netanyahu is that he is being prosecuted for something that wasn't even a crime. But because they wanted to indict him, they came up with something, a new form of bribery, where because he got favorable coverage one time from a minor website. They decided that because he would like to have favorable coverage and he got favorable coverage, that meant that in some way that was a form of bribery. There's no money that changed hands, it wasn't a crime, but they created this statute so that they could indict Netanyahu because they wanted to indict him for something. These criminal probes, threats of criminal probes, it's one way that they can control Things and try to bring down Netanyahu. It's very similar to what's going on with Trump and the reasons that they want to indict Trump and taking something that was a federal issue and trying to make it from a misdemeanor to a felony on a state charge. It's also that kind of creative prosecution for something that didn't exist as a crime before, just to indict.
1: Now with President Trump, it's a political issue and it's the politicians who are doing it and the legal system. Is that the Knesset who's making these decisions against Prime Minister Netanyahu, or is it at the Supreme Court?
0: Well, certainly he's got his opponents in the Knesset, just like anywhere else uh, politically, but this seems to be coming from the attorney general, who had also been kind of threatened by a criminal probe of himself. So he kind of caved so that he could participate in this criminal probe of Netanyahu. According to Carolyn Glick, she thinks it's basically from the legal community through the Supreme Court and the attorney general.
1: In Israel, the judicial system is the Supreme Court and the attorney general. Israel's political system is certainly not the best design, and it has promoted division and corruption. But it is the system that they've chosen, and it's based on that English parliamentary type of government, so it can work. That is so important that they resolve this because Israel has so many enemies outside of their borders and even within their borders that the last thing they need is fighting among themselves or any kind of a civil war. Fortunately, based on God's promises and on his word, once they re-entered their land of Israel and controlled it, they will no longer be destroyed or dispersed. What a blessing that is to know that Israel is secure. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek because they're not secure in that they have a lot of nations that want to destroy them. And Iran has made it absolutely clear they're going to try and destroy Israel. As a matter of fact, right now they have 250,000 rockets pointed at Israel, primarily from the Gaza Strip, which they control, from Lebanon, Hezbollah, which they control, from Syria. Now they're putting in the Houthis in Yemen, and they've just recently met in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia are Sunni Muslims. Iran are Shiite Muslims. Those are like the Hatfields and the McCoys. They absolutely butt heads against each other. They have totally different belief systems. And yet they have just met in Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia has met with Hamas, the terrorist leaders controlled by Iran in the Gaza Strip. The Iranians are trying to get the Muslims to work together against Israel instead of Israel coalescing with the Muslims in Saudi Arabia. So you could have them also surrounding Israel with all these rockets. And you also have rockets in Iraq that could be used against Israel. Israel has a lot of problems, but fortunately they have God on their side because the Bible is clear that Jesus Christ is returning to establish his kingdom on the earth with his Jewish people. In the process, everything about the future revolves around the nation of Israel. They had to be returned to their land, and dozens of prophecies had to be fulfilled, many of which have been already, in order for the return of Jesus Christ. So we are looking at issues going on in Israel that we have to watch. They're important to us because biblically, the future is all about Israel. Of course, it's about Jesus Christ, but from a natural standpoint, it's about Israel. And we as a nation should be concerned for Israel because, as you said, they're the only democracy in the Middle East. That's important for us to work with them and to protect them. God's plans for this nation have to be established, and they will be. And part of that is for them to come together as a people so they are not destroyed from without or from within. So let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for the peace of Israel. Let's pray for wisdom and safety for all those people so that they can come together in a proper way and handle things in a good manner that's best for the citizens of that country. And of course, we always need to pray that they will open their eyes and hearts to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior.